Thanks for being here this morning. Braving the cold. You can tell we're raising kids in the south because when it did snow, uh, they hated putting on layers of clothes to go outside. They didn't understand it and they, they hated doing it. I thought, well, we live in the right place because you don't have to do this very often. But thanks for being here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 if you want to turn there. Um, we've been in a series called Finding Freedom from the Curated Life. We've been talking about this whole idea that we are tempted to curate or edit our lives. Sometimes to look a certain way, sometimes we want to feel a certain way, and we try to act like certain things aren't there, and we try to highlight the good things about us. I think social media is one of the examples we talk about that's just so prevalent that we're able to edit our lives and present the best parts uh, and hide the worst parts. This week we're going to talk from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So I, I'd love to read, or maybe if you've ever memorized this verse, you can say it from memory with me. So Philippians chapter 4, listen, listen to God's word. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> That's silly, right? <laughs> Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are two powerful verses. And in just a second, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Because there's a lot we need to understand about these verses. There's a lot of misunderstanding here, too. But I think in these two verses, if you will commit these to memory, if you will come back to these over and over. They can be a source of life and joy for you. So let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. God, we know we can open this word, but if the Spirit is not meeting us here in these words, in our hearts, we got no hope of truly hearing what you're trying to say to us and then really applying it to our lives. So we do ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The version I'm reading from this morning is the CSB. The English Standard Version, the ESV, is what I originally memorized this in. It says, don't be anxious. And I think an anxious life often is a curated life, and a curated life is often an anxious life. Because when we feel the pressure to curate and to edit our lives, we live with constant anxiety about everything else that's happening. Because our lives feel fragile, and they feel fragile because they are fragile. When we feel the pressure to curate and edit an identity for ourselves, an image that we want others to see about us, and things we want them to think about us, any threat to that makes us anxious, makes us worry. Things like inflation, death, sickness, suffering, worldwide pandemics, or even small things like getting everything done that's on our schedule this week. Just taking care of kids, getting to work every day. Everything, it seems like, can make us anxious. We live in an anxious age, don't we? But I think uh, if we're going to work through this passage, we, there's a few points we need to look at. And the first one is we, we got to look at our worry. And I'm using the word worry because that's what my version says, don't worry about anything. And so I, I think we've got to start, and we've got to look at our worry. And it's important to say first that there are different kinds of worry and anxiety. If you make blanket statements about anxiety, 
uh, you could end up getting into trouble because there's some anxiety, first of all, that's good. There's some worry that's good. You ought to worry about your kids being safe. You ought to worry, now not in a sinful way, obviously that's another way you could have worry and anxiety, but it ought to concern you like, hey, I wanna make sure my kids are safe while they're playing outside. I wanna make sure we've, I've got the right kind of job where I can put food on the table for my family. I wanna make sure that these good things in my life are taken care of. I wanna worry about these things. These are things that are important to worry about. But then there's other kind of worry that's brought on from suffering. Something you didn't necessarily choose to do, things that cause you anxiety as, as an aspect of suffering. And Brad Hambrick is the, count, the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And he's a professor of counseling at Southeastern Seminary uh, there in Wake Forest, which is where I went. And he has some wonderful resources on anxiety. And he's the one that pointed this out to me, that some anxiety is good, some anxiety is from suffering, but some anxiety is caused by our own sin. And he says that is what Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4. So anxiety that comes from this sense of suffering or disorder or mental um, imbalances and things like that, Paul is not blaming that on your sin, saying, well, the reason you have these chemical imbalances in your brain is clearly you've done something, you know, you've offended God. And No, 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 that's not what... Paul's here talking about the kind of anxiety that we can control, the kind that we do have some sort of responsibility over. So there are different kinds of anxiety and worry. And in Philippians 4, Paul's talking about the sinful kind, the kind we really can. We can control some of this stuff. But Brad Hambrick goes on to point out something that I think this statement is just golden about anxiety. He goes all the way back to trace the beginnings of anxiety and says anxiety and worry become possible at the fall in Genesis 3. And here's the quote. Becomes possible at the fall because no longer were we willing to live each moment in contented, trusting reliance upon God. The moment of the fall became the moment that all human beings for the rest of our existence could not just hear and trust the words of God. We couldn't live each moment content. We couldn't live each moment in a posture of trust and dependence. We became worried that we had to take care of ourselves. So it, if that's our worry, if there's different kinds of worry, different kinds of anxiety, I, I had to ask, and I, I can ask you, why? Why do we worry? There's lots of reasons. We could do series upon series of this. You could go see a counselor or a therapist and talk about this for years. We could write books, and people have on this topic, but for us this morning, how do we answer this question? Why do we worry? If Paul's saying here, don't worry about anything, well, wait, wait a minute. Before I stop worrying, why am I worrying in the first place? I think the first reason we worry is because our wants become needs. Steve Cuss is an author who's written a lot about anxiety related to leadership, and he says we have anxiety when we think we need something that we don't actually need. It's when our wants become needs. When we have expectations for something and then those expectations get missed and we didn't realize how much we convinced ourselves we needed that thing until we don't get it. And then how let down we are, how disappointed we are, how angry we get when our expectations are missed. And then we realize, oh my goodness, I was living as if I needed that from this person or from this job. This is when good things become ultimate things. This is when our wants become needs Good things become ultimate things 
when we expect them to fix bad things in our life, which is the second reason we have worry and anxiety. We, our wants become needs, but our stuff becomes my savior. My stuff becomes my savior. There's good things in my life that then I expect to fix the bad things in my life. So what is the functional savior in your own life? What do you trust to comfort you when you're distressed, to ease your pain, to calm you down, to give you peace? What do you look for horizontally that you can really only get vertically from God? What kind of stuff have you turned into a savior? And I think the third reason why we worry is because our boundaries become blurred. Personally, like we don't have any boundaries or limits on ourselves. We have this curated life that we're striving after, this image we want to portray to other people, and so we throw off all boundaries on ourselves. 24 hours a day, seven days a week is wide open for me to work and earn more money. I saw a hilarious video on social media yesterday of this girl saying, uh, I'm tired of seeing ads about having a side hustle and having 27 uh, hobbies that I've, I've found ways to monetize. I don't want a side hustle. I want to barely hustle. <laughs> and I thought... You know, that's a, that's a needed message. I actually think that's true because we think we, we never stop working. I don't have any boundaries or limits on myself, on others, or on time. Maybe you set idealistic and impossibly high goals. With no patience and no limits, nothing is impossible. You buy into the lie of immediacy that there's, you don't have a time frame that something might take years or decades to happen. It's like, I need it now. So all boundaries become blurred, boundaries of what I expect others to do for me. And then boundaries on ourself, boundaries on our own personal responsibility, we blame ourselves for way more than you were ever responsible for. And those boundaries get blurred and then you have anxiety over things that you thought you should have controlled that was never yours to control to begin with. I think these are just three of the reasons we have worry and anxiety. Because our wants become needs, good things become ultimate things. Because our stuff becomes our savior, we look horizontally for stuff to fix the big problems in our life, and then our boundaries become blurred. So Paul gives us a, a little bit of a command here. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So if the first thing we've got to look at in this passage is our worry, which I think we can all identify things we worry about in our life, I think the next thing we've got to look at is our prayer. We've got to look, I mean, that's the central kind of theme. I, I'm going to say in just a few minutes, I don't think it's the main point of this text, but it is definitely the central theme of this text because he's telling you don't worry but pray. And then he uses three words that kind of reiterate the same meaning. But in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and then he gives a definition of a prayer. Present your request to God. Four different ways he's encouraging you to pray. But the main action of all of them is this conversation with God, but for us, the challenge of prayer is that prayer is often our last resort rather than our first option. So what does it look like based on these verses to really pray? What does that mean? I mean, we talk about prayer. We prayed, Justin prayed. We got here early this morning and prayed. If you're here this morning, maybe somebody in your life has told you you ought to pray. Maybe you've tried praying in moments of desperation. What, what in the world does it mean to pray? And even in this text, what does it mean for us to pray? I, I think the first thing we learn right here is prayer requests specifically. 
Do you see what he's encouraging you to do here in verse 6? Don't worry about anything. I mean, that's a comprehensive word, right? But in everything, another comprehensive word, through prayer and petition. So we ought to pray not just about everything in general, but about everything specifically. That's kind of where that word petition comes in. You're asking about a specific thing in your life. Now, I think I maybe mentioned this during Advent at one point, but uh, a story about a guy who was our server at Waffle House and the guy I was with asked how he could pray for him. And he said, you know, when I pray, I try not to ask God for stuff because I realize people are asking him for stuff all the time. So when I pray, I tell him, hey, you take care of yourself this time, big guy. And uh, I just thought, you know, that's such an interesting way. And we, we laugh and we giggle, but sometimes our prayers aren't all that different. We pray so generically. God, I just pray for your blessing on my life. Please help me, you know, to kind of get through this week. And you know, the kind of relationship God has initiated with us through Jesus is not generic like that. I mean, how would you feel if your kids spoke to you that way? Say, no, no, but how was your day? Good. No, but what happened? Like, I don't know. And we, we all go, yeah, my kids answer. I answered my parents like that. My kids are gonna answer me like that. Your kids are gonna answer you like that. But did you know God invites us to specifically request things from him, to petition him for things? Like you can, the Psalms use this phrase, pour out your soul to God. So prayer requests specifically, but prayer also remembers gladly. This is with thanksgiving. Part of our anxiety flows from actually like an amnesia of the way God has met our needs in the past. Oh, how quick are we to forget all the thousands and millions of ways God's provided for us? And then in a moment of something that seems infinitely large that's standing in front of us, that we have no idea how we would ever get through the Red Sea, as if God didn't just free you miraculously from 400 years of slavery like an ocean could stand in his way. Now, I don't think that's the main point of that text. You know me well enough, like it's all leading to Jesus, but what an opportunity to learn about faith in that moment, that we forget the way God provided for us yesterday. That's why this text says, with thanksgiving, Force yourself to remember and to be thankful, not out of a sense of I feel really thankful, but out of a discipline that says, God, I'm gonna sit down and I'm going to remember how you have provided. Let me name your blessings. Let me name the ways that you've cared for me and loved me. And prayer's gonna remember gladly and maybe your heart's gonna follow the discipline rather than your discipline following your heart trying to catch up. We've got to stop and remember. We must recall his goodness. Psalm 103 says, don't forget all his benefits. Don't let yourself forget in the midst of the anxious life we're all living in, the anxious age we're all living in, don't have this kind of godly amnesia where we're forgetting all the ways God's blessed us and cared for us. I think the third thing about prayer we learn is that prayer rejoices in God. While we are invited to bring all of ourselves and all of our requests to God, the point of prayer is that we're approaching God himself. 
It's not just that we're coming to get stuff. Prayer's not this cure-all pill that we take and we find our anxiety's gone after a couple hours once it gets in our system. But prayer's just the means and God is the end. So if we solve the challenge of prayer, that it's often our last resort and not just our first option, we learn some ways to pray. I think we've gotta, we've gotta meditate on the invitation of prayer from God. So the main point of this passage is actually not just prayer. Prayer is the means, it is the vehicle. There's no power in prayer. We say that, and they both are P, so they sound, you know, it's like it must be true if there's alliteration in the saying. You know, prayer is powerful. Prayer's nothing if you're not praying to the right God. Prayer is a vehicle that almost every religion uses. Who are you praying to? That's where the power is. That's where the joy lies. Prayer (laughs) is just meant to carry you to the presence of God and is the way that you talk to God, is the way that you commune and fellowship with God. So the invitation of prayer is not just to talk, it's to talk to God, it's to be with God. But prayer is not just a one-time fix, it's a lifelong process that over and over again leads us to God. The point of having conversation with your spouse is not the conversation, is not to work through a list of questions and check the box that you got an answer. The point of conversation with your spouse is you love your spouse. And conversation is one of the ways that you spend time and love and listen to your spouse. So prayer is really an invitation to be with God. And if we're talking about don't be anxious about anything, how comforting is that to say, I can be with God? In prayer, we turn our whole lives over to God and we open up our hands to him. We're relinquishing our grip on the things that are causing us anxiety, recognizing me controlling this more is not gonna help. Steve Cuss, who I mentioned earlier, talks about one of the things that gets us stuck in anxiety is when we think the solution is more of the same. And you can apply that to anything. Like if what you're doing is causing you anxiety and you think, I've got to do this harder, rest assured that will only cause you more anxiety. But prayer is a way that you can stop, step out of the crazy cycle of anxiety and the things that are causing you all this worry and internal commotion and you can open your hands to God. Say, God, I'm not in control anyways. But I know I'm loved by you and I know I love you. So I think this, this text forces us to look at our worry. It forces us to look at our prayer. But last of all, it, it leads us, I mean, almost by the hand just as you read the text, not just to our worry and our prayer, but to God's peace. He says, don't worry, but pray, verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the result, God's peace. Now here's where this text can be challenging or misused or misapplied. If you're feeling anxious, you just need to pray and it's gonna go away. And if you're anxious and if you're praying and it's not going away, there must be something wrong with you and the way that you're praying. That's not what this text is saying. We don't believe in just like a pray it away theology. 
Because I think each of us can look into our own lives or anybody else in this room, and maybe you know the story of someone in this room, or maybe you know the story of someone in your life that has prayed and that does love Jesus, and their anxiety and their worry has not gone away. There are things that are hard about our lives that really do cause us anxiety, that when you pray about, God doesn't just sprinkle dust and cause all that hardship to go away. God's peace is something else. In fact, God's peace is not a thing at all. God's peace is a person. So when he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, you can't read that without skipping down to verse nine that talks about the God of peace. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. So when he says, I'm gonna give you my peace, God's gonna give you his peace, this peace of God is gonna come into your life when you pray with him, it brings us right back to where we ended talking about prayer. The point of prayer is that we get God. The point of God's peace is that we get God. It's not a thing that we get or a feeling or an emotion. God's peace is a person, and we have peace when we have a relationship with him. The cool way that scripture talks about peace is that it's not just the absence of conflict. That's how we tend to think about it, peacetime versus wartime. But the Bible's definition of peace is so much bigger. It's this word shalom that I can't even begin to scratch the surface on. But it doesn't just include like no negative, like no bad things, like no war, no conflict. It actually has a positive element to it. That I guess the closest we could describe it is like wholeness and completeness and perfection. So how do we get this? Well, it's through our relationship with Jesus that we have this kind of peace. We are whole and complete in Jesus. In him we lack nothing. Did you did you hear that? In Jesus, you lack nothing. When you come to know Jesus, you will never have a resource problem again. Because in Christ, you lack nothing. Our anxiety wants us to think the opposite, though. Scarcity mindset. You don't have enough. You don't have the right things. You don't have the right things at the right time. We've got to come back to Scripture and recognize we always have enough because when we have Jesus, we have not just the peace of God, we have the God of peace. In Jesus, we are righteous, loved, our future, secure, forgiven, redeemed, justified, adopted, given a new identity, saved. We have the peace of the same Jesus that slept through a storm that could have taken his life. We have the peace of Jesus who had wildly inaccurate accusations through against him, but he was silent like a lamb led to the slaughter, keeping his mouth closed, saying, that's what you say. Such peace he didn't even feel the need to defend himself. We have the peace of Jesus who lived for years with a man he would look into the eyes and hear him say, I love you, Lord, knowing you're gonna betray me for some pieces of silver. We have his peace. We have the peace of that Jesus who lived that, who lived this anxious life you and I are walking in now. And he lived it with perfect peace. That's part of the reason we don't need to skip over Christmas straight to the cross. Jesus lived for like 30 something years. Why? So that he could do it perfectly. 
so that in the moment that you don't have peace, you can go, wait a minute, Jesus, you've been here and you did have peace. You've lived this life. You know what it means to be hungry, to have relationships, to love people. And Jesus did it all with perfect peace. Peace changes our perspective so that Christ is always with you. Prayer is how you tap into that. Prayer is how you're talking to him, how you're communicating to him. But Christ, I hope your perspective this morning changes that Christ is always with you. So what if in the middle of whatever's bringing you anxiety, there was someone big and strong with you? I mean, it's hard not to think about kids, right? The things that they think are such a big deal are just so not. But something happens when they're with you that they just feel much safer. They feel like their problems kind of shrink and go away. And the thing that they wildly overreact about, they don't realize it's not a threat at all. In the case of my own children, there's no man-eating gorillas in any forest around us that they heard from some teacher at school. But as we were driving home in the dark on the highway looking at the forest, they were pretty sure there was. And they had a lot of anxiety about that. Now from our perspective, we go, no there's not, like there's, there's not even any man-eating, like that's not really how that works. I guess they could if they got angry, but that's, and we're trying to explain this, but in their mind, huge anxiety. In our mind, we're going, that's not even a possibility. And it's the same with us and Jesus. We come to Jesus with our man-eating gorilla-sized fears, and Jesus says, all right, come on, I've, I'm with you. I've got you. That's not even something that's a possibility. That's not even something you ought to fear. And he just scoops us up in his arms and says, I'm with you, and I love you, and I conquered the grave. What else is there to fear? What if when you're anxious and worried because of something you want, Jesus is there reminding you that he's your greatest treasure? What if when the things you placed your hope in begin to shake and the foundations begin to rattle and you feel it begin to crumble underneath you like COVID did for so many of us, shook the things we were finding comfort in, the things we looked to to give us hope? And when those things begin to shake, what if in that moment you turn and see Jesus reminding you that he is the firm foundation of your everlasting hope. Only that can really bring you peace. See, we're freed because of Jesus to look beyond the circumstances of our life in this world. And that, friends, is usually what causes anxiety. When we get stuck here, we get stuck looking right here at our circumstances and it causes us to spin out trying to control, worrying about what might happen tomorrow when we don't have any control over that anyways. But Jesus frees us to look beyond these circumstances and realize that our peace does not come in how good our lives may be and our peace is not threatened based on how bad our lives may be. But our reality is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who will never die again. Two scriptures came to mind as we end 
thinking about Jesus being the person of peace for us. The first is in Colossians chapter three, verses one to four. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How many of us can have our anxiety begin to get better right away just by doing that? Stop dwelling so much on the here and the now. Look to something far more secure, far more eternal, far better. Set your minds on the things that are unseen. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our greatest hope is not in this life. So if all your anxieties go away because everything you want in this life is given to you, you still will not be fixed and satisfied for eternity. The other passage is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. This is a little bit longer, but bear with me. You get the sense Paul's just writing from his gut in this passage. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends do more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal if you have any reason to be anxious it would sound quite like what Paul wrote I'm afflicted I'm perplexed I'm persecuted I'm always being given over to death what, what great reasons to be anxious focusing on those things but Paul was able to see through those things because of the spirit of Christ, making him look up to Jesus, using that word he uses there, focus. We don't focus on what is seen because that stuff's temporary. So when we're praying, part of what happens is we gain an eternal perspective on the things that are causing us anxiety, on the things that are causing us worry. And we gain an eternal, godly perspective that says, wait a minute, what is gonna last for eternity is the resurrected Jesus. And I can stake my hope and my joy on that. And so as we are anxious because we're curating our lives and we're trying to fix our lives and duct tape our lives together, I saw a hilarious chart this week that said, um, does it move? Yes or no? 
It's like one of those like, does it move, yes or no? And if it said yes, and then it was like, is it moving? And if the answer is yes, it was like, you're good. And if it was no, the answer was WD-40. And then it said, is it supposed to move? No. Is it moving? Yes. The answer was duct tape. And no, it was you're good. It's like the answer to all of your problems you need to fix are WD-40 and duct tape. And so as we WD-40 and duct tape our lives together, trying to curate them, trying to fix them, trying to put them together on our own, Christ is saying, would you come and pray to me? Would you come and have fellowship with me and let my presence be a reminder to you that there's something that's way better and will last way longer. And it's me and the life I'm offering to you. So don't just focus on the things you see here. That stuff's temporary. And I know it's hard. And I know you feel beat down and afflicted and persecuted and perplexed. But know that you're not abandoned. Know that you're not crushed. Know that you're not in despair. Because all of this is just a momentary light affliction. I mean, can you describe your life that way? However hard it's been. Probably much harder than mine. But what grace would it take in your life to be able to say, you know what all the hard things I've been to? That's just momentary light affliction. That's nothing compared to this absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That is what solves our anxiety and our worry. That is what the peace of God looks like. When we have such a relationship with Jesus that we look to him over and over and over and spend our lives in prayer with him so that we get such a vision of him that everything else fades in comparison. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for your word. We're challenged by your word. I'm challenged by it, God. Because there are so many light and momentary things that I do have anxiety over. That God, I do focus on. I look to these things as if I'm supposed to control them, as if they can really defeat me once and for all. And God, I know everybody in this room has struggled at some time with anxiety, with worry. And I want to pray this morning, God, that you'd free the captives. Free those of us that struggle with anxiety. I pray that you'd give us a vision of who you are, God. Invite us fresh and new this morning into a life of prayer with you so that we can be with you, so that we can ask for things specifically. You want to hear it, God. First Peter encourages us to cast all of our cares on God because you care for us so we can give you everything. And in that, God, we want a, a living, breathing relationship with the living, breathing Jesus because that is what brings us peace. Not just a hunt for a feeling that's different than the feeling of anxiety, but a hunt for a real relationship with King Jesus. So Christ, be present to us. Be present to these people in their anxiety. Even if you take weeks, months, years to bring them out of the darkness, out of the despair. I pray that in that journey, they would feel and know your presence, God. And they would know that no matter how dark their anxiety gets, it cannot touch their eternal peace that they have in you, Jesus.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.